0: Well, we're glad you're here on this intergenerational Sunday as, uh, as we've come to worship together, and it's good to be together as the people of God on this Lenten, first Sunday in Lent. And Lent is a time, a window of time, 40 days, excluding Sundays, as we move toward, as we build toward, as we crescendo into Holy Week, and then really climax out at Easter, and it's a time for us to, to look at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his self-denial, to reexamine our own lives, um, to be cleansed through confession, and just deal with some self-awareness, and that uh, there are areas where we could follow more closely to Jesus. and asking the tough question, Are we willing to follow Jesus through the persecution and the pain and the passion? And so I encourage you over the next several weeks uh, to join us because we're going we're to be really heading into what I believe is a significant series of messages. You've heard the phrase, right? It's a colloquial phrase. It's a cultural trending phrase. We hear it a lot. It is what it is. Say that with me. It is what it is. It's, a, it's that way of us um, saying uh, we can't be too idealistic, uh, uh, this is a reality, this is where we are, and we need to, to deal with it. Now, sometimes it can be a positive, honest kind of phrase, sometimes it can be a cop-out. Uh, but, but it's a phrase, and when you hear it, you have to think about it, it is what it is. Well, we, we find that God uses a very similar kind of phrase in the Old Testament. Uh, you'll remember in the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible for uh, the Jewish believers and for us followers of of Jesus, those are significant books as the people of God are on a journey. And Exodus literally means exit. So in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, we find old Moses and, and uh, he is bummed about some things in his life. He's frustrated. Uh, There's some shame and guilt. And so he goes off into Midian and he decides, I'm just going to be a shepherd. Uh, I'm going to live a much easier life, less accountability, less stress. And so he just looks after a flock. Well, you kind of, many of you may know the story. There's a bush that is on fire and that bush is able to communicate some things to Moses. It is God speaking, and he's on holy ground. Anytime God calls us, that's holy ground. And and so the bush says, Moses, I want you to lead my people. Now, you remember Moses had good, honest questions. He questioned himself, which is okay, and God addressed that. And then he says, okay, God, as I go to Pharaoh, who am I to say, has sent me. And God uses a very similar kind of line as the one you said. He says this, I am who I am. I am who I am. What, what is he saying? Well, in the original language, the implication of, of Yahweh in this context is he saying I am all-encompassing. I am self-sufficient. I am infinite. I am sovereign. I am in control. I am and will always be, have been. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus said those words. And so all the way back to the Old Testament, to the New Testament, When Jesus helps people to discover who he is, he introduces himself to crowds of people and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And I wonder when he was communicating those things, when he said those first two words... I am. I believe people shuddered. I believe there was probably power just when he said, because he was part of the Godhead who originally said, I am. And so when we hear the words, I am from Jesus, that's an opportunity for us to lean in to something significant and what he would say and who he is so my prayer is that over the next couple of weeks during this Lenten season, we will discover in a richer and a newer way this God who says, I am who I am. And so today, I want us to look at Jesus as he's moving through uh, in the Gospel of John and all of these these. Um, I am statements are from the God, Gospel of John in this particular series, and so we're, we're finding that Jesus is passing through in Chapter Six, and he is uh, in ministry. He's healing; people are tuning into his teaching. His his ratings are going up significantly. The polls are indicating he's very popular, and you don't have to look far because the crowds are pressing in on Jesus. And so much so that he has compassion. You'll remember, he has compassion over the people. He saw the crowds. It actually says in the scripture that he looked with them with eyes of compassion. And we find the disciples are trying to problem solve. And, and they're doing this with Jesus. And all of them talk together and say, how are we going to feed How are we going to feed all these folks? They have journeyed. They have been here. It's been a long, hot day. And Jesus stuns them again. He's a real spellbinder. Just a few loaves and fish. and Well, it was more than 5,000 because we know that in those days of chronicling history, women were not counted at the same time level and so they weren't literally counted and children weren't necessarily counted. So we could be looking at twelve to fifteen thousand gathered. And it says that they left and they were satisfied. And Jesus had that feeling of being overwhelmed. I know he did in in terms of his own humanity. That's the beauty of Jesus. He was somehow one hundred percent divine, one hundred percent Human, That's called the incarnation, which is, which is hard for us to, to understand in its mystery. And he, he pulls aside and attempts to rest, but the crowds keep coming. And they're gathering and they're listening to his teaching. And he says, you have come today because you have been fed. You have come because you've had a physical need bad. But I say to you, there is a bread that is greater. And, and in the original language, he uses the word bios, which means biological, which means physiological. And he's saying, you have come because you have been fed Bread physically. You've been satisfied. Now you have to understand the context in that setting in Palestine. You know, for us in the Western world and specifically in America and even more specifically in the South, bread is kind of a precursor to the meal. You go to Cracker Barrel, they bring out what? Cornbread and biscuits, right? Do you want those? And I'm like, yeah, I think these are free. I'll eat these jokers. You know, especially when you're in college. I mean, free food, right? It, it, but I would still have enough class to at least order a meal. But you know, but <laughs> right? I mean it was like the precursor to the meal. It was it was kinda in the margins for us, right? But in in that Setting a that? bread was central to the meal—the Passover meal. They had bread and wine. And so Jesus, Jesus uses that original language f- for us to read, and he's saying, "You, you physically have been satisfied. You've your needs have been met. You are not hungry anymore, physically." But I provide a bread, and he uses another word, Zoe. Maybe you've heard a woman's name, Zoe. It means, it it supersedes the physiological. It means quality of life. I bring you Zoe in bread. I bring you abundant life. I bring you eternal life. I don't only bring quality, I bring quantity. Now think about that a minute. I am who I am, eternal, and I offer that to you. I don't know about you, but I'm constantly struggling with addressing that satisfaction, that hunger in my life with cheap substitutes. And there are cheap substitutes. Uh, I may want to medicate that void in my life with liquor or a drug or, or, or maybe a an inappropriate relationship or things that are of a material value and prestige and and so I address what Paul calls the flesh. And when theologian says that there's a God-shaped void in every one of us, a God-shaped void in every one of us, and we, we attempt to push in and press in something that's just not going to fit, that's not going to satisfy. We look for the bios when we really need the zoe. Sam, uh, he was visiting the church and, and it was kind of intermittent and... You know, I, I would greet him as a pastor, and he'd sit on the back row. And then his wife started coming, and 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 she would sit with him. And then one week he'd be by himself, and then the next week he, she would be by herself. And sometimes they they would be together. And and uh, one day he called the church office, and he said, "Let me introduce myself." I said, "Oh yeah, I've seen you've been visiting." It was a small church, much like this. And and he said. Uh, There's a lot of stress in my marriage. Well, that was a huge understatement because when they came in, they were willing to come in and sit with me and visit with me, and I was listening for their story. She was angry, she was hurt, she was emotional. He didn't quite know how to respond in that moment, but he came clean and he admitted that he was having an affair she knew it coming into that moment he said it out loud and it was like it had to be the Holy Spirit because I'm not sure I was wise enough to do this I said her name and I asked her to, to be dismissed for a little bit and I said talk to me and he said I don't know why I did it I mean there are some reasons but I love my wife. And he said her name. But she's never going to satisfy. Neither is this person. I don't know what to do. And it was like the Holy Spirit had said, say it now. Say it clear. And I said, you're exactly right. Your wife will never be able to satisfy that God-shaped void in your life. Neither will this person that you've been unfaithful with. Have you ever received Jesus Christ in your life? And he said, I haven't. And I said, he's the only one that will satisfy and be the peace that fits in that place. And he said, I want that. And so he prayed to receive Christ in my office. We look for so much in the physical realm that only the spiritual in Jesus Christ can address. And so today we come and we hear the words of Jesus. And, and the rhetoric is interesting because we can hear ourselves in the voices of those. They're like, well, we want that. I mean, is this manna 2.0? Do you remember manna coming from heaven provided daily? They weren't allowed to take more than they needed for that day or it would spoil. And, and they were thinking, this is great. Panera baguettes for the rest of our lives. What is it we need to do in terms of work? They said. Isn't that interesting? To get this. And he simply extended the invitation to be Lord and Savior. Because for me, what I find is that if I am obsessed and if I try to make a guide out of anything other than what this represents, it's a bread that will break me. It's a bread that will destroy the relationships that I'm in. It it is a bread that will devastate my health potentially, whatever it, may have its, it will have its consequences, but this is a bread that has been broken for me on my behalf. And so it's no small thing that Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. And those disciples must have heard him say that as they were in that upper room and the Passover meal was being shared. And they probably heard him say it more than just once. John records it for us here. Uh, we, we see possibilities of it being in other places, but but I bet it was so repetitive that when he said, this is my body broken for you, and he separated that unleavened bread, they knew. They knew what he was talking about. And in the same way, we have an invitation to receive Christ, to allow him to be that satisfying factor for our spiritual hunger. It doesn't take much, and I'm going to wrap up here. It doesn't take much to see that we have a hungry world. We really do. When you look at the lives of folks in our community, when you look at the lives of even people in the church, when you look at our own lives, you see that there is a need for a satisfying substance provision that would have to be divine to really do what it needs to do. And in the Old Testament, we find the writer speaks to that when he says, you have written eternity on my heart. I think he was saying, we can look into the face of each other. We can look in the mirror and say, something's not right. We are longing for something, for Zoe to make a difference. Real life. The thief comes to steal and destroy, but I came, help us, John 10.10, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, we see the problem. And I think we could all admit, even this world out here will admit that there's a problem. But the good news, and it's something we don't hold to ourselves, is we know the solution. And it's called a Savior. And he has given his life for us.